0: It's nice to, to know where you are. You know, if you haven't experienced some of the things that you're hearing about there, God can do that for you. It's personal for every single person, but he just arranges things to get us started and then into the next step and the next step as well, because he doesn't want us to stay young. He doesn't want us to stay babies. I'm doing a series on identity in Christ, and um, today we go into chapter 4, and it's like um, God, through Paul, takes us from soaring with the eagles, looking at the big picture of what he's doing in the earth, down into the nitty-gritty of a church and a nitty-gritty of our own personal individual lives. And we're looking at some of the bad stuff that can happen. It can even happen to us, or we can find ourselves doing it to people. And when those sort of things happen, um, the I am that I want to give to you today is the I, this, this thought, I'm better than that. You know, when we find ourselves hurting someone, or saying bad things about people, or holding offence against against someone, we, we need to be able to step back and say, no, no, I'm, I'm better than that. I don't have to go down that route at all. Because I can be forgiven. Anyone agree with me? I mean, it's so much better to live forgiven than to live heavy. Sandra started by talking about getting rocks in the backpack. And I don't know whether we'd talk much, hun, but that's very much what I'm talking about today. God wants us to walk light. Don't get a backpack on and go tramping and load it up with rocks. But some, some of us go through life with rocks in our backpack, and you might not even realize that you're carrying them. But man, you get rid of them, and it's like, hey, it's cool. Life is good. So much easier. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to open your mind, open your Bible, and we'll have a little look at some Scripture in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to read the whole chapter. So as a prisoner for the Lord then, Paul says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bear with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Because there's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each of us, Paul goes on, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, that's Jesus or the Messiah, he took captives and gave gifts to people. What does he ascended mean? Except he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended, higher than all the heavens. He who, um, in order to fill the whole universe... So Christ himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then... We will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Surely not in the church. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him... The whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So I tell you this, in fact, I insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles or the world does in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality, sexuality, sensuality, so as to indulge in every sort of impurity. Does that sound like our world? Hello? It is, isn't it? And they're full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you Christians have learned when you, when you heard about Christ. You were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, put off the old Renewed in the thinking, in our thinking, and put on the new man, the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Okay, deal with it within the one day. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands that they may have. Uh, something to share with those in need. Do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Why? Because we're actually better than that. He says, be kind. Our, our prime minister's been quoting Paul. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, in Christ God forgave you. And I think the key word in the whole chapter is in the last verse, verse 32. Do you know what it is? Yeah. Ephesus is an amazing place. Um, I've got a whole lot of photos, but that's just one little section of what's left of Ephesus, um, this incredible place. Sandra and I were there in 2017, and, and every god ar- around was being worshipped in this place. But Christianity won. Christianity won over the whole population that they estimate was somewhere between 200 and 250,000 people living there. Christianity won when people were worshipping the, uh, Caesar, they were worshipping Diana of the Ephesians, but slowly the impact of Christianity took over. Why? A lot of it was because Paul wrote this letter and they started living out chapter 4. They understood what was coming before that, but they lived out chapter 4. Let me show you. This is, this is the uh, most famous uh, photo of Ephesus. You've probably seen it. It's the library. Um, that's the facade on the front of the library. Um, this was the church at Ephesus, and not many people actually go down through the trees and to the church. That's a picture. It was three buildings. This is what it looks like now. Um, it's within one of the buildings, and, and you're stretching right back to the columns with a concrete piece at the, that you can see. It was a big church. It became really big. And there's Sandra in the baptism pool in <laughs> Ephesus. So it's an amazing place, and the church did become quite incredible. Um, But what I I want to to remind us is that um, something brand new was happening in in this whole part of the world, and Paul's writing about that. And and he writes, look... This new thing is that every race is now, the gospel is going to every race. There's equality between every races, every race. But as you bring every people from all over the then known world together, you get a church that's made up of all sorts of different people with different backgrounds. Can you get that? And so Paul starts to dig down into this, and he drills down into holy living and growing up as Christians. And, and this time, he, Paul plays the I am a prisoner card. Last time, he says, don't worry that I'm a prisoner. The gospel's free, and it's, it's amazing. It's having incredible impact. But this time, he says, I'm a prisoner, so I'm going through all this pain for you, so the least you can do. His words were, I urge you, live holy, full, proper lives. Don't muck around with the Christianity, in other words. And he goes on and he says, especially from verse 17 on in that chapter, if you've got your Bible, you can just glance there. He says, don't do all the stuff you used to do or that you see other people doing today, even if it's legal and the government says it's all okay. The Bible and Paul says, no, it's not. Your conscience says, no, it's not. God's calling Christians to live different lives to the people in the world. We're to be righteous. There's to be no sleeping around and and no cutting people down behind their back. It's called gossip. It's called slander. What Paul is saying in that chapter is Christians have been given a challenge like a fish to swim against the current instead of turning around and going the easy way in life. We're called to be different. We're called to have different morals. We're called to to dress differently, to live differently. And and it starts with having different attitudes. Often the attitudes of a non-Christian are quite opposite to these ones that Paul highlights. You know, we get saved in a moment, but we get sanctified in a lifetime. That's worth coming to church for today. We get saved in a moment. But we get changed into the image of Jesus Christ over every day and every month and every year of our life. And the Bible says when we see him, we will be like him. So perfection is on the other side of seeing Jesus Christ. Death. So we're in this process of being sanctified, being transformed all through life. And it's it's to do with our choices. You know... As we learn the Bible and we understand how God thinks, and as our spirit conscience gets awakened and we start hearing voices and nudges that are telling us, don't go there, don't do that. I don't think that was the best move. And we start realizing the Holy Spirit's speaking to us through our conscience. Then we can learn to make more godly, Christ-like choices and decisions. And we all fail sometimes. Some of us fail a lot. Have I got any friends? But we can pick ourselves up and we can dust ourselves off and we can put things right and we can apologize to people and we can become friends again and together we can go forward. Is that utopia? Or is that actually what God wants the church to be doing all the time? You know, Matt and Nikki, Tori and Bart and Kat and Caleb have babies and we're all really glad for them, true? And they are enjoying each stage but they would never want their child to remain as a baby at that stage. They are always looking for the next thing it can do. Can it roll over? Can it speak? Does it giggle? He or she giggle? You know? Nikki was telling me that they kept Noah in their, in their own room for a long time. Probably too long, uh, I would say. And, and now they've got him in his own room and they've got the white noise speaker out of their bedroom. Do you know what a white noise speaker is? Not many of you. <laughs> Tori does. <laughs> Ask her about it afterwards. It is success when you get the white noise speaker out of your bedroom. And, the, and Noah can just have that in, in his own bedroom. Babies have to grow up. Now, you know, if we were God, can you imagine being God? Have you ever had a dream? you ever thought back? What would I do if I was God? If we were God, we would probably not have the system of working with human beings and growing them up like he has. We would do something where we would get people saved and instantly they would be perfect. You know, the ability to sin would be gone. There'd be no more sin. The ability to get offside with their neighbours and other people would be gone. So there'd be no problems that we'd all be on the love boat and we'd be singing kumbaya... You know, as we sail to heaven perfectly because we've got fixed the moment we did what Tara spoke about of coming to Jesus. Have you noticed God's system isn't like that? You know, this is, this is so hard when we first become Christians. We go, what's going on? I've sinned again. What's going on? I've, I'm tempted in this area and I fell. And what's going on? These two people are against each other and they can't be in the same room together. What's going on? And God's system's very different. He saves us and he forgives us of everything. And then he gives us a new nature I like to think of a nature as being like a new operating system. If you buy a computer, we understand operating systems today because we all use computers, and you buy a computer, but you have to have an operating system for it to work, work, work. You have to have something like Windows 10 installed into it so that it will actually work. And the new operating system that God has given us that processes everything and gives us instructions and helps us to be able to do everything, I like to call Heavenly 777. Heavenly 777. But then God does something really strange. Have you noticed? He leaves the old system called Me First 666 inside of us. It's broken. It's defunct. It gets us into trouble. It takes us down every wrong road that we could possibly go down. It speaks to us and we're very comfortable with everything that it tells us to do because we've been living by that operating system for X number of years. And God says, now I want you to learn to operate out of heavenly 777. And overcome In every situation, me first, 666. And it takes a lifetime to learn to do that. And he says, I've given you a manual. It's called the Bible. And I've given you a voice. It's called the Holy Spirit. And if you get into the Bible and start listening to the Holy Spirit, your life will go forward spiritually a whole lot faster. But if you don't want to, you can trip over and trip over and trip over for ages. And it's a battle that goes on in our lives. Am I telling the truth? And so he's describing this community life to this new church and a new move of God that had only just come upon the world. It was only 30, 40 years old at this stage in this new thing called church. And it's a vulnerable community of called-out people who are all still getting to grips with this perplexing way of doing things. And he highlights the most important attitudes of all for human beings to take on board and say, I want to be this. He says humility is number one, not pride. Gentleness, number two, not arrogance. Patience, not being roughshod and riding over because we know best, but, but patient and bearing with other people in love, not riding them off but giving grace to people who aren't thinking at the same, in the same way that we are and they're doing things that are coming up and clashing against what we would like to see happen. He says, no, humility, gentleness, patience, grace-giving to all these people. Don't blow it all apart. It's a vulnerable community that I'm building here. And the reason that this is so important is because people from Ethiopia to Kazakhstan to to Israel to uh, Rome were all coming together, Constantinople, all sorts of different people, and they were becoming church. When we went to Ephesus, we learned that Cleopatra and Mark Anthony had lived there for quite a period of time. People from all over, and they were getting saved, and they were they were coming into a community where there wasn't this likeness, but they had to learn to live together, and yet all this stuff could happen as well. So those those words, humility, gentleness, patience, and and giving grace to people are so important. And time after time in that church and in this church, verse 32 is needed with that word that was the most important word of probably the whole thing. What was it? Everyone, what was it? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Forgive one another. And if you think you've had such a big offense, think about what Jesus did for us, and our big offense becomes very small, and we're told we have to forgive. And I don't know about you with forgiveness, but I have discovered it is really hard. If someone really offends you, or worse still, someone offends offends a friend of yours and you get offended for them, it's even harder in that situation to let it all go. To take it to the cross again and again and again until it really is peace. And he, start, he doesn't start off, because I've been preaching about that part, verse 17 through to the end, but in the very beginning, he says, endeavour to keep the unity of the Spirit. So right from the start, Paul's saying to this church, if the devil gets to blow a church apart, he neutralises the gospel message. True? Yes. And so he brings seven Seven things. <laughs> seven things. that are unifying for any church right across the world. They're vital. He's saying it's vital that that we stay together, that we give grace to one another. He says there's one body, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father. And you'd have to say, looking at the number of denominations across New Zealand and across the world, the church hasn't been very good at staying unified. Sadly, it's true. But God, in that that verse there, is also saying he's still building it together. And you know, there is so much that across denominations and across churches around our country today as well, that we believe so much of the same things and we have the same um, ceremonies and the same heart and the same... He's building it together even now. So it's not that it's gone. So... How does the church stay together when the potential for all these disagreements and problems and, and annoyances and downright offense of things happening to us happen in, in the Christian life? How can churches survive? Well, the first thing is the spiritual. God's keeping the church together. True. The second thing is, um, well let let me, let me just. Go back one step and say, first of all, why this happens. I want to reiterate it again because it's really 101, but it takes sometimes years for Christians to see it. Why does problems happen within a community of people who are all saved? The first one is we all have those two natures. And we can operate out of the old or the new, and so it's very possible for problems and disagreements and issues to arise because of that and we're having to learn to to live in 777 not 666 the second thing is that if we go on a couple of chapters to chapter 6 paul's very clearly saying we have a devil who is against the church and he will do things to try and cause people to be at odds with one another And then thirdly, that process of sanctification, which starts when we we give our life to Jesus, but we are saved in a process day by day until we are fully saved as we go into heaven, um, is, is God's mechanism of helping us. It's amazing. He doesn't overrule free will. He says you can fall over as many times as you like until you begin to realize You skin your knees every time. And you begin to say, God, how can I change and be different from this? In Old Testament um, imagery, you can go round the mountain in the desert as many times as you like, and we can go around a different mountain for a while too. And we can go around a different mountain. I saw a a joke once about uh, a guy who was shipwrecked onto a desert island. And when he was finally... Um, rescued, and he said, I'll show you around the island. And he showed them the two churches that he'd built. And they said, why two churches? And he said, oh, that was the church I used to go to. I'm now in this one. I mean, we can fall out with ourselves. We're that complex. Forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. I wonder what's under the surface in your life. I wonder if there's anything in a backpack that you've been carrying for months. And God's saying, take it off. Take that rock out of your backpack or take the whole backpack off. You're made to walk light in the land. You know, as I've thought about this, over 50 years of being a Christian, I think it's 49, and 35 years in church leadership, I've come to the conclusion that God doesn't seem to mind us being offended. I don't think it's a big issue to him. I think he goes, oh, well, we'll see how they're going to handle this. Here's an opportunity for growth or bitterness. Let's watch. Come and have a look, angels. Have a look just down here in St. Albans Baptist Church. Watch what they're going to do. I don't think he minds. And the reason why I think he doesn't mind is that I think a lot of us think we are much better we don't realize what's inside of us in our inner life. We think we're much better than we are. But when we get offended against the stuff that rises up and gets triggered within us, and we think, oh, it's that person. If, if, if they didn't come to church today, I'd be feeling absolutely fantastic. And we think it's all that person. And we're waiting for them to apologize to us. But we don't realize that it's triggered stuff within us that God's saying, I wonder whether they're going to actually deal with it today. Because he wants us to grow and be sanctified and be changed into his, his, um, his likeness. You know, I've offended many people. I've been offended also by some of you. And when it happens of either me offending you or you offending me, we get to make choices. And I have determined I'm going to live light. When stuff rises in me, I'm finally at the point of realising actually, I instead of pushing at the person out there, I need to start saying, God, what's going on in my heart and my life? What do I need to own? What do I need to deal with? You know, I want to just tell you uh, quickly about my falling out with, with my closest friend. Now, I've said this a number of times in this church, so please give me grace if you've heard it, but some of you won't have heard it. But I fell out with my best friend for five years. Can we just have a look at, he was my best man at, at our wedding, and um, just go on to the next one, if you will, because that's him today, Mark, Mark Woolley. Great guy, great guy. But I know all about bitterness, rage, anger, and slander that it talks about in verse thirty-one. There, this guy taught me to surf. He didn't do a great job. He just said, "There's the waves. Go out and have fun and don't drown." (laughs) But but he really basically taught me to surf and helped me. It it just so, and we were for ten years. We we just were every weekend: Friday, Saturday night, Sunday at church, Sunday out surfing again. And usually during the week, we were just for 10 years. We were so close. We were always together. And and we got married at around the same times. Our our wives had uh, children at around the same times. And after a while, he convinced Sandra and I to buy a section next to him and to build a house just meters from where he was also building a house. So we ended up living together um, or opposite each other, for about 10 years also, And we we did ministry together. We took outreaches together. We were just really doing well till our senior pastor asked he and I to both coordinate the building of a house for a a young girl in our youth group who had a prophecy that said God was going to build her a house. And, And our pastor asked us if we would coordinate the building of this house. And Mark and I are opposites. And where I'm really concerned uh, about the amount of money and being spent, Mark's not worried about that. He's, oh, you know, and I found that he, would, he was okaying things in that build that meant more money was going to be spent for this house without even talking to me. And I got deeply, deeply, deeply offended. And, you know, it, it just grew into a, a bitter thing. I know about slander because we our friends had to make decisions of whose friends they were going to be because of the words that were coming out of my, well, I'll own it for me, out of my mouth. We drew our wives into our own sides, and yet they were great friends up until that time, but slowly we drew it out to this terrible situation. I know about anger because I remember once he, he said, Your, the trees you planted are coming onto my side of our property, and they shouldn't be there. And I remember getting so angry. I worked all day digging up this row of trees on the boundary and planting them again and, and grizzling under my breath with every stroke of the dig of the shovel. And I remember going to bed that night thinking, I feel as if I haven't even done a, 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 any work today at all. You can fuel yourself on anger <laughs> powerfully. It's an amazing tool. Adrenaline or anger can give you a day's work without any stress or anything because you are so worked up. And it wasn't until our wives started to talk to us about growing up (laughs) that the Holy Spirit had a vehicle to, to be able to bring us to a point where we said, actually, we've been best friends and now five years of our life has gone. We've lost it. And we began the journey of coming back together again. And we, there was, some of it was in public, and that was messy and, and uh, embarrassing. And some of it was, um, a lot of it was behind the scenes. And I found I had to not just forgive him once, but I had to forgive him multiple times because me first, 666, kept talking to me. It's his fault. What are you apologizing for? He's supposed to apologize to you. And I am so glad that he and I were able to come back together again and, and we could forgive each other to the point where we could wrap our arms, arms around each other and just cry in each other's arms. And, you know, within, six, within a year of us coming back together like that, we were down here in, in St. Albans. And Mark, he'd gone to Baptist College in, in those years of time, and he'd got a, a degree in theology, and he'd become a counsellor in Glen Eden Baptist Church in one of their ministries, and helped many, many people to be free. And then he started to work f- uh, for his wife. Um, he, he was, or Before that, he became the community chaplain. He was the evangelist in, in Glen Eden Baptist Church, and he led many people to the Lord who were part of Vision West Trust. And the programs that they were running. And then he began to work with his wife, who runs um, Vision West Trust. And uh, Mark's skills in building and, and el- electricities an electrician by trade, um, were, they were able to start their first houses. And now they have probably hundreds of houses around the country. And they have a $30 million budget. And I asked myself for both Mark and for me, if we hadn't been willing to deal with the offence and forgive each other what might not have happened in what has happened for him and what has happened for me in coming here you see the bible talks about opening up wells and redigging wells that have been have become blocked and they become blocked with these big boulders of unforgiveness and I just wonder what's under the surface in your life or my life that the Holy Spirit might be speaking to you about that you can be free today if you're willing to own it and God will lift you to another level in his, in his kingdom of, of um, uh, authority and, and influence if you'll get rid of the things that are in the backpack. So you have to kind of ask, how can churches survive If people can get into this sort of conflict with one another and bitterness can grow so deeply, smiling lovely, but underneath it's just get out of my sight. I don't like you. That's what Paul's talking about. And he goes in verses 7 to 12 and he talks about leadership gifts. And he talks about everyone being given gifts in the body of Christ, but he specifically talks about office gifts. And office gifts are gifts that bring leadership and order and structure and skill to the church. And the hierarchical of apostles, prophets, because in um, Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 28, it says first apostles and then second prophets. And it's not a matter of just anything goes within this called out community called church. You know, the modern church is actually structured mostly around a pastor and elders, but there are those who are visionary leaders, whose scope is much bigger than just one church. They have an apostolic uh, vision to be able to look at things, and, and they see things for whole sections of the body of Christ. And for me, following one of these apostles, I would place Paul de Jong. In that um, uh, category in New Zealand, and for many many years we have followed and listened and talked with Paul, and it's been incredibly helpful for uh, the ministry and for this church. Andrew and Jan actually um, are apostles. They're apostles because the word in the in the. Greek means sent one. So a missionary takes that status of an apostle, but they're also apostles because they are working at the highest level of the mission agency that they operate in, and they are, they are coordinating that big-picture vision for their work in various countries. And so they, have, they operate in that way. And it's this leadership that God has placed into his church that stops the church from just falling into dysfunction. Because of these nitty-gritty things that do happen, and they bring us place of safety. And all leadership in the New Testament is supposed to be servant leadership, not, not dictatorial. And the goal that God has for His church and for us as individuals is outlined in this chapter two. It's a free, empowered community called the Church of saved people who are all growing and all active and moving together to become mature. Verse 15, I've just about finished. Verse 15 is a key verse. We all need people who will speak the truth and love to us. We don't need people who will speak the truth to us. Many times, people who are just, I've got some truth I need to tell you, will cause more offence. But we all need people around our lives who will speak the truth in love because we don't see everything. We don't see many of the faults. They're not viewable to us, but ask your spouse if you're married. They know what they are. And I just want to ask you, who have you said has permission to speak into your life? To come and have a coffee and say, hey, can I just talk to you about something that I see? It might get a little bit um, pointed, but I'd, I really would like to just raise this thing because I think it's actually holding you back in, in what how you relate with your family or the ministry that you have. So, so, so important that we have people that we give that permission to. And then the last thing is we need to regularly use the key of forgiveness. As I've been saying, we're designed to live light. We're designed to be able to walk in with a smile and greet people and not have things rise up on the inside. Jesus said take communion regularly, and that's what we're going to do now. He wasn't doing it so that we would have a religious ritual. He was doing it and saying do it as regularly as you can because he wanted people to be able to have a moment, a time, where they could honestly examine their life and think about whether there was a fence in their life or a fence out there. And communion was a time to bring it to the cross. And we're told in some passages, if necessary, go and put it right with people and then come back. So that we can live light. So this morning I've asked Seb if he would lead us in communion. And I know this is a heavy topic, but I just believe that I'm not that dissimilar to many of you, if not all of you, that there can be things that have happened in your life. Some people are so trapped by them, some terrible thing that took place, that it has defined their life from that moment on. And you can be free of that. It doesn't matter what it is. The cross of Jesus Christ has paid the penalty for it. And I just encourage you, if you are carrying rocks in your backpack, speak to God about it this morning and take them out.